book of Philemon, very short book. We're going to read the whole book this morning and talk about a useful faith. Philip Yancey said this, Grace does not depend on what we have done for God, but rather great what God has done for us. Philemon says this, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have for the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now as a prisoner for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but by your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, Charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my very own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me or even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for little things. We thank you for the book of Philemon. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just open our hearts and our minds, teach us from it. God, give us your grace. And Lord, pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There's great value in little things like diamonds have great value. And often little things and small things are extremely useful. Tuesday night we had uh, two soccer games. One um, in Earlville and a home game. Where Jared had a home game, Aaron had an away game. I was supposed to go to the home game. Teresa was in Earlville. And we had driven together in her van, and I had grabbed my keys, and apparently I left my keys in her van. And so I got ready to go to my game in Samanac, and I couldn't find my keys. And so I ran all over the house, and I had this big piece of metal 
sitting out in my driveway, and I couldn't do anything because I didn't have a little thing, the key to move it. Small things are extremely useful. And small things, they open great doors, and they give us powerful truths, and they have revolutionary ideas that prove to be very useful to the world. And the book of Philemon is like that. And it's an extremely small book of the Bible. There's 25 verses. There's less than 400 words. And it's often overlooked and it's often neglected. But it's a powerful little book. The story is basically about three characters. Paul, the apostle, who was a persecutor of Christians for a long time. He came to know Jesus Christ, had his life radically changed. So he's going around telling everybody about who Jesus is. He goes to Ephesus. And while he's in Ephesus, he meets this guy, very wealthy guy named Philemon. And Philemon was extremely wealthy. He had a number of slaves. Philemon hears Paul talk about Jesus, and Philemon becomes a Christian. And then the story, this letter is about Philemon's slave Onesimus, who also became a Christian. Philemon lived in the city of Colossae, which is about 100 miles from Ephesus. And Onesimus doesn't know, the Bible doesn't say how, many, how long he stayed with Philemon. He doesn't say how long he was with him. It just says that he was Philemon's slave. And being a slave back then wasn't fun. And he didn't want to be a slave. So he ran away, took off, and he probably stole something from Philemon, it says. He took off and he ran away, hoping to escape. And somehow, either in Ephesus when Paul was in prison or in Rome was Paul in his prison, somewhere, Onesimus is out trying to live his life, trying to escape, trying to sneak into the underground. Because if a slave was to be caught back in those days, it could be a capital punishment. But he finds and he comes across Paul, this Christian. And Paul reaches Onesimus, and Onesimus becomes a Christian. And on a side note, maybe you're a parent who's got a wayward child right now, who's running from God. What are the chances that Onesimus would end up in a big city with the ultimate Christian Paul? God is the hound of heaven. You just keep praying or your son, or your daughter, or your friend. You never know where God's going to take him and who God's going to bring into their life. So Paul meets Philemon, and Paul meets Onesimus, and both of them, all three of them, becomes Christians. And if we read that passage in this little book by itself, if we don't say something about slavery, it gets us all worked up. Because Paul in this whole little book doesn't say anything good or bad necessarily about slavery. So the thing that we need to remember when you read ancient slavery was a lot different than the slavery that we think of today. Many people were slaves back in this time. It was based, it had nothing to do with race. When we think of slavery, we always think of race-based slavery. That's not at all what the idea was back then. If you went in debt back then, you could become a slave. It was not fun. Nobody wanted to be a slave. You could get marked. You, had not, you didn't have much privileges. But it's not the same type of slavery of t- that we think of. Many slaves were highly educated and had many powerful jobs that they were still slaves. 
But the thing about the book of Philemon, even though Paul doesn't say anything directly against slavery, he's speaking something new that the world has never heard before. N.T. Wright says that Paul was putting a time bomb against the whole institution of slavery by actually insisting that people are treated as fully human beings with responsibilities, rights, and duties. And the foundation for the abolition of slavery was being set, even in this little letter that Paul wrote. Because this is this little letter that survived thousands of years ago, the small little piece of writing that Paul scratched out that he sent back with Onesimus with the book of Colossians to the church of Colossae. If we had nothing else, if all of the New Testament was gone, if you had no other pieces of the New Testament, and all we had to read was the book of Philemon, it would spark in us and we would see that because of Jesus Christ, something radically new has entered into the world. There's a whole radically different way to think about life. There's a whole radically different way to look at the world. And it all comes from this small little powerful book called Philemon. The whole book of Philemon is about fellowship and forgiveness. And Philemon reminds us that Christianity, and here's where it gets for us, Philemon reminds us that Christianity speaks to the nitty-gritty of life, or it's a fabrication. It shows us what a useful faith truly is, and it calls us to it. Is the faith that you confess useful in a biblical sense? Is your faith in Christ deeply directing your life? What does that look like if it is? That's what the book of Philemon shows us. It's a small, powerful, very useful book that speaks to a real Christianity that reaches the nitty-gritty of our life. A life like that, a faith like that, is a deep faith that is full. Paul knew Philemon before he was a Christian. We don't know. He was a, he's a wealthy guy. He had, he had all this stuff. He meets Philemon. Philemon hears the gospel, and his life is radically changed. Everything turns around, and we know that because what Paul says about him. He says, hey, he says great things about Philemon when he writes his letters. I thank my God always when I remember you because of how he's living his life now. That's a deep faith that is full. And that's what we need. And that's what we, you need. And that's what we should want, isn't it? That's what we want with our faith. A faith that is really full. That really takes all of our life seriously. The nitty gritty of our life. Is your faith so real that it is smudged across every aspect of your life? Your Tuesday afternoons, your Wednesdays. Your bank account is marked by a faith that's radically affected every area of your life. That's what Christianity calls us to. Christianity is a faith of conversion. Where we are heading one way, and then we get turned by Jesus Christ, and we're heading a different way, and it covers every aspect of our life. Not just little sections of it. And a full, useful faith will have its marks on every aspect of your life. Is that how you demonstrate your life? Is it full? Is it a deep faith? This is what Philemon had, this unbelievably deep faith. Paul says, I'm always thankful when I think about you and when I pray for you. 
Because Philemon's faith reverberated all through this area. He opened his home up to the church. The church met in his house. Philemon says it was written to Philemon and Aphia, who was probably Philemon's wife, and Ariscopus was possibly his son. But if it wasn't his son, it was probably the pastor of this house church. They didn't have buildings back then, so they met in this house together to worship. And Philemon allowed all that, and he lived that way. And his faith reverberated all the way through. And then it says at the end of verse 7, For I have derived much joy, Paul says from him, and my and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed to, through you. I mean, this is the idea of this guy in deep battle or going to war, and you finally get to take a break, and someone gives you some water. Or I saw the story, probably many of you did too, this woman walked into a Lowe's or a Home Depot down in Florida to try to get a generator this past week. Her mom's on, uh, needs a breathing machine. She walks in, the last generator's gone, and there's a guy who says, you can have the one that I bought, and he gives it to her. I mean, that's refreshing, isn't it? You, you think you got nothing, and then someone comes up and says, "Here's, I know you're in this huge fight here, I'm going to give you a break. Here's something to refresh. That's how Philemon lived his life, Paul says. He, he refreshed the saints. It's refreshing. It was reverber, reverberating through. People noticed it. They saw this massive difference in his life. That's a full faith. It marked every aspect of his life. It's refreshing. And just to say, Cornerstone, I was greatly refreshed a couple of weeks ago when we had Cross Church here. And how many of you responded very positively about having the Hispanic church join us? And we've prayed for that for a long time. We're still praying about that. And sometimes you don't know. When you try things, how is it going to go? And for everybody to respond so well and to comment and say, that was good. We enjoyed that. We need to do that more. That's refreshing. That's what Christians are called to do. That's a deep, full faith. But his faith, Paul says, he, he says it's reverberating, it's refreshing, and then he says in verse 6, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective in the full knowledge of every good thing that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the hardest sentence to translate from the original language. And the word sharing, we often think of sharing our faith with someone. It's not really what Paul's saying in here. It really is the idea of sharing or your partnership in the faith or your fellowship in the faith. And Paul's ready to make a very strong appeal. He's about ready to say, hey, you are a Christian master of a slave who treats slaves a certain way, especially if they run away. And I'm about to call you to do something radically different than nobody in the world ever does in this situation. And so he appeals to him first with his deep faith. And he says, Philemon, your faith reverberates all through the area. I mean, people know that you love Jesus. You refresh the saints with your faith. And now I want you to take that same partnership, that same sharing, that same fellowship of faith, and I want it to become very effective for you as a resource for something I'm going to call you to. I'm going to call you to something very hard. And this is why we need a use, useful faith. Paul was making appeal to him. And the reason that we need full deep faiths is the same reason that Philemon needed full deep faiths. 
Because in life, there is deep frustrations that are extremely real. Philemon's got a job. He's got a house. He's got things to take care of. He's got all these slaves, these workers. And Paul says to him in verse 8, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you, he goes, as your spiritual leader, I can command you. i got a lot of doctrine behind me to know this is the right thing to do. I can command you to do what's right with Onesimus, but I don't want to do that. I want you to take the faith that is deep in you, that you're sharing this partnership, this resource. I want you to take that faith, and I want you to think, I want you to think, Philemon, about how you should deal with this situation. And here's the situation that I want you to deal with. I, Paul, I'm an old man now, and a prisoner. And now I appeal to you for your for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And here's the, the verse. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And I want you to do something really good for him. You know how many useless things there really are? I mean, this is a very strong word to say about somebody. You are absolutely useless. He was absolutely useless to you. And we don't know what that looked like. Philemon may have had the church come in. Onesimus may have been a slave for a while. He'd, he'd see the church gathered at their house, and then he'd take off, and then eventually Onesimus ran off someplace and took off, and Philemon's losing money. It doesn't look good for him. He looks like a bad master. It's all bad, and you know he gets to church. They do the fellowship greeting at the church when they're shaking hands, and somebody says, hey, where's Onesimus? Remember the Seinfeld episode with his neighbor Newman? Every time Newman showed up, Jerry Seinfeld would say, Newman. And maybe that's how Philemon felt about Onesimus. How's, where's Onesimus? Hey, what happened to that guy in Onesimus? Oh, no, Onesimus. He's useless. That's how, I mean, he's useless. There's no value whatsoever that Philemon feels towards him. And Paul says, I want to take all your faith, this deep faith, and into the most personal frustration that you feel, this useless slave Onesimus, and that's where I want your Christian faith to be marked. You're doing all kinds of great things, Philemon. You're, you're praying for people. You're refreshing people. But Christianity is much deeper than that. It goes to the core of all of us. It goes to the core of our deepest frustrations. And that's where I took the time to write this letter and appeal to you in the hard things and the frustrating things of your faith. We are called to fight the fight that's before us and not the fight that we wish was before us. Sometimes as Christians, we like the front page fight. You know, the things that are out there that everybody's looking at, and then we want to make comments about, and then we want to post those on the Internet, we want to share our opinions and be in this battle and say, this is what's important, this is what's important, and argue, blah, 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 blah. It's okay not to have an opinion on every issue that takes place. Onis, Philemon could have had all kinds of opinions. He, could, he, was, he was right in so many ways. But Paul's appealing to him at a very personal, deep level, at this place where he says, hey, your Christianity, it's got to hit here. How you deal with this deep frustration who's now a Christian. Because you can be right in all these other areas, but if your Christianity doesn't hit here, it's fabrication. It's ultimately what he's telling him. 
And we like to fight some of the big fights that are out there, but we often don't like to fight the fight that we're supposed to be in. Like, we see the big sins of our culture, we want to say something about them, but we don't really say too much about the materialism of, that we're dealing with, or the consumerism that is eating us up, or the envy, or the greed, or our own anger. These deep frustrations. And it's not that we can have either or, but it's both and. We've got to deal with both of them. We've got to stand up for what's right and fight against evil. But our Christianity calls us to deal with our own personal life in real practical ways, the things that's really before us. And even at Cornerstone, it is at, appears at times that it's easier for us to show the unconverted Christ's love than to show Christ's love to fellow Christians. And we've been through a difficult season across the country, politically, in arguments, and different debates. Let me just encourage you, fight the fight that you are in. Stand up for truth, but also fight the fight you're in, which is, how do you love each other in Christ? And maybe there's somebody in the church you had a huge, and you still have huge political differences with in the last couple years. You're called to figure out how to love each other together in that. So invite them over to your house. Have some tea together. Talk to each other. Fight the fight that you are in. Show the love of Christ to the Christians just as much as we feel compelled to show it to the unconverted. That's what Philemon is being called to. A real nitty-gritty faith. And how does that happen? It happens between a, with a deep fellowship that fuels forgiveness and reconciliation. Paul says, I'm not going to command this of you, finally. I'm not going to tell you you have to do this. I could do that, but I'm not going to do that. I, I want you, by my love and your love for Jesus Christ and our fellowship together, to fuel in you forgiveness and reconciliation. And he did it with great care. Paul says this in verse 14 and 15. He says, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent. Paul's like, I want to keep Philemon. I mean, he's helpful to me. Being in prison back in that time meant that you had nobody to take care of you. You were tied up, probably shackled together by guards. Nobody brought you food. The only way you got food or clothes was your friends outside would bring them to you every day. And so Onesimus became a great friend to Paul, a great helper to Paul. And he's like, I wanted to keep him here. But that wouldn't be the right thing to do. Legally, it wouldn't be the right thing to do. As a Christian brother, it wouldn't be the right thing to do. And he told me that he used to be your slave and that now he wants to make it right. And so I want to help him. So he says, I prefer to do anything without consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him forever. And Paul talks to Philemon with great Christian fellowship and great Christian care. He knows that this is a deep frustration. I mean, this guy was useless. But he's seen what Onesimus has come, and he understands that this is going to take care and some time and a process for Philemon to do this. But he pushes him and he asks him to do these things. And Paul says, here's what I want you to do. And it's radical. I want you to take your slave who ran away and stole from you who you have a right, according to our laws, to treat however you want to treat. But I want you to do that. I want you to take him, and I want you to let him come back 
and to consider him like you would consider me. Receive him like you would receive me. That had to be unbelievably radical to find me. Take the most useless thing that I know and treat it like the most precious person that I know, the person who led me to Jesus Christ. That's what you're asking me to do? Yes, that's radical. That was totally counter-cultural in any way on how to treat an individual. But that's what Paul was asking him. And he says in verse 17 and 18, that fellowship fueled this forgiveness and reconciliation. He says, if he's wronged you in any way, I'll I'll take care of it. I'll pay for it. And then he says at the end, in verse 20, Yes, brother, refresh my heart in Christ. And how was Philemon to refresh Paul's heart in Christ? He was to do it by seeing and finding Onesimus useful. See him as different. Seeing has, see, him, see him changed by faith. See what appears and was useless to be useful. That's what we are called to do. That's a deep faith in the midst of deep frustrations that's only going to be accomplished with deep fellowship that fuels in us forgiveness and reconciliation. And the only way that will happen for us is if our Christianity is real and deep and useful, and found in the person of Jesus Christ because there was a time when the world found one other person extremely useless. Jesus came to earth, took on the human form, the most useful human ever, and the world completely rejected him. They said, we have no use for him. We don't want him. They spit on him. They crushed him. They bruised him. They put him on a cross 2,000 years ago next to two thieves who needed all the help in the world, and one of them looked at him and found him useless and said, if you're the Son of God, rescue us and yourself, mocking Jesus. But the other thief looked at Jesus and recognized who he was and asked for his mercy. And Jesus gave him eternal life, and he found him very useful. And in the name of Jesus, there is great power and great hope. Grace does not depend on what we have done for God, but rather what God has done for us. In the name of Jesus. Is that the kind of Christianity that you claim? Is it a kind of Christianity that goes to the nitty-gritty of your life and it's deep and you allow it to go to the places that you don't want anybody to go? Where you have to be confronted in areas you don't want to be confronted, but you're willing to say, yes, if Jesus is who Jesus is, and if Jesus did what Jesus did, then I believe and I will open up my life to that. And that's the kind of deep faith that I want. That's true Christianity. That's real Christianity. That's the Christianity that gets into the nitty-gritty of your life. And in that type of Christianity, which is Christianity, you will be transformed. That's youthful faith. Is that your faith? If it is, rejoice. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit.
Anybody falls sometimes. Gotta find the strength to rise from the ashes and make a new beginning. Anyone can feel the ache. You think it's more than you can take, but you're stronger, stronger than you know. Don't you give up now. The sun will soon be shining. You gotta face the clouds to find the silver lining. I've seen dreams that move the mountains. Hope that doesn't ever end, even when the sky is falling. I've seen miracles just happen. Silent prayers get answered. Broken hearts. That's what faith can do. It doesn't matter what you've heard. Impossible is not a word. It's just a reason for someone not to try. Everybody's scared to death when they decide to take that step. Out on the water, but it'll be alright. Life is so much more than what your eyes are seeing. You will find your way if you keep believing. I've seen dreams that move the mountains. Hope that doesn't end. Sometimes you will have the strength to rise.